Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters. Satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. Andy, what about satisfaction? Let's talk about things that satisfied. You know what satisfied me? Guess. <laughs> so I guess something. <laughs> Is it the is it the Iowa Hawkeyes? Is it uh, Iowa sports? Is that what's satisfying you? No, of all the years for you to ask me about college sports, though, I appreciate your ability to not recognize the irony in that being this year. Um, <laughs> what, what you know what's satisfying? I will tell you what's satisfying. I got some fresh wreaths with like actual pine, and every time oh. I open the door, it smells. Beautiful, like Christmas is supposed to smell. That is said, the scent of fresh pine is incredibly satisfying. That's really lovely. That's really nice. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm happy for you. Oh, like you. genuinely, fully happy for you. Your sincerity is just coming through the air. It's, it's <laughs> bursting through the, it's melting the cold between us. <laughs> uh, all right, Saturday. Oh my, oh my. Let's get right to it. We've got games a Saturday. Some people are excited. Some people are overwhelmed. Twitter is a place where all of the damn opinions live. You can check them out there. But Buffalo at Denver (laughs) is the matchup we're going to talk about first. And because we are always leading off the show with some hot kicker news, Brandon McManus, not great news for him, is on the COVID list. But because even though it's week 15, we're still getting the hang of what that means. There's a chance he's reactivated before Saturday. I actually am tied to Brandon McManus in one league. Uh, So this is like I care. I care a little bit. But generally, when these things come up with kickers, I mean, you just want to take evasive action right away. You just want to drop him and not think about the kicker situation uh, anymore. So like, I don't know. I don't think I would follow up on Saturday to see what the deal is with McManus. I think I would just cut bait and and move on. There are plenty of other pieces to deal with. And so I want to ask you, Andy, because obviously True Lock is coming off of this. He's good now. He's good now, right? Yes, he's great. Last (laughs) week. Oh, my goodness. You know, I was happy that I started Tim Patrick some places. KJ Hamler's popping. Jerry Judy's in the mix. We know that Melvin Gordon is always on the field. But if you were looking at these three receivers and you're comparing the matchup, who are you prioritizing? To me, I'll just say right now, it's still Tim Patrick, even though he didn't have the same stat line as Hamler last week. I'm still going to prioritize Patrick because he's been the most consistent and because of his touchdown upside. 
Yeah, well, Hamler's stat line, while great, right? Like, we like two touchdown games. That's cool. It, it came on three targets. So Ham, Hamler was not... And Hamler's had some games where he's been pretty heavily targeted, but one last week, and it didn't matter because he had a couple of touchdowns. It was nice to see from Drew Locke. There was still... He's still got a lot of that, like, backpedaling, doesn't set his feet, lofts the ball in the air that I'm sure he got away with in high school and obviously got away with in college, but will long-term not serve him very well in the NFL. But he got away with it last week. Um, it was it was like, it's nice to see. A, he's he's fun. He's kind of a, a fun, frisky quarterback uh, who's not exactly competent at all times. Um, if there's a receiver that I that I trust more than anyone here, it's definitely Tim Patrick, though. I mean, Tim Patrick's up to six touchdowns. Uh, he's got three in his last two games. He can he can win in like short areas of the field. He can win on deep routes like he just he's he just he just wins. He just wins constantly. He's the size receiver. I don't know. I, I like everything about him. It's been Except frustrating his name, right? Right, right, right. Pretty bland. Like name. His name is such a bummer. Maybe that's the thing that's kept people from actually adding him in fantasy leagues. Like I've literally written about him 10 straight weeks in the pickups column. I'm just in a big stare down with the Yahoo fantasy community that refuses to add him or even nudge him over like 30% rostered. It's probably not going to happen now because, you know, we're down to like four teams in every league. Like, I think he's been really solid. He's He's been really solid with every Denver quarterback too. Like it doesn't matter who they throw out there on the field. Um, it's not just with Drew Locke. Like he's been really good. So I think he's, he's pretty clearly the most bankable let's talk about the quarterback though i guess we buried the lead a little bit because of brandon mcmanus but let's talk about the quarterback that's not (laughs) ranked outside the top 20 right let's talk about the quarterback that's ranked probably inside or at everyone's top five josh allen coming off of a pretty impressive performance not mistake free but facing the pittsburgh steelers he certainly gets credit for adjusting and handling the pressure, staying confident in the pocket. I was really impressed. I watched that game back uh, a second time um, in case I missed something. What I didn't miss, just as a side note, a personal me moment, was Dawson Knox dropping balls constantly and particularly in the red area of the field, um, which was incredibly frustrating. Regardless, I think Josh Allen is the story. Now, also a bit of news, there was some hope that John Brown might come back, but that has since been squashed. He is not expected to suit up in week 15, but I don't know, maybe no problem because Gabe Davis has stepped up when he needed to. And Cole Beasley, we've talked about time and time again. Beasley's definitely hitting a thousand receiving yards on the season, which is super impressive because he used to be the guy in Dallas, right? Like he would pop once a year fantasy managers would add him and then they would drop him the next week when he went right back to like two catches for 25 yards. But he has become a bankable every week receiver. Gabe Davis scores a touchdown every week now. It doesn't matter if he's not even getting volume. By the way, the the throw that Allen made, not even the throw, the setup for the throw, like that little shoulder shimmy that he did to to sort of move around defenders to, to allow Gabe Davis to come wide open was just like the degree to which Allen has advanced, not just, you know, statistically, but just in a game watching perspective is really amazing. And obviously people in Buffalo appreciate it. I just like, man, has that guy come a long way from being a pretty sketchy passer when he came into the league. I mean, he's like his his completion percentage is up 10% from last year. His yards per attempt is up like a yard and a half per attempt. It's just an incredible leap from his second season to to this one. And uh, like all the credit goes to him. But like these Buffalo guys have just become set it and forget it fantasy commodities. I think a little bit of the credit goes to Stefan Diggs after watching 
the week 14 performance. But I, I totally agree with you. We need to, as when we opened this matchup, uh, talk about how he has performed. I'm going to ask you this last question before we move on, because we know that everyone listening wants a little nug here, a little bit nug there, but to stay satisfied as they move into their semifinals without being bogged down, Zach Moss is someone that you have consistently held out hope for. And he is coming off of a 13-carry effort, which was the second highest carry total of the season for him. Obviously, game flow, salting away the game. Second, Most of that production came in the second half of the game. Are you lured in at all? Or are you going to move away? And the matchup is not easy, by the way, against Denver for him. Yeah, I, well, the matchup wasn't not that not that he, you know, jumped off the page statistically or anything, but I think it was really valuable in real life that you saw that Buffalo could salt away a game against a really good defense by running the football. And he was obviously a, a major component of that out out carried Singletary. I think it was 13 to seven, which is a mm-hmm. which is a huge development since he had seemingly fumbled away his role like the week before right so that was good to see him surge back i've got him on like every dynasty roster i i can't i can't play him in fantasy semifinals right like i have the option to play him in a whole bunch of leagues and i just i just can't get him into that conversation with like the the other guys that are in like the upper teens the low 20s those melvin gordon types like i for whatever reason i have a bunch of rosters that are like is it melvin gordon or is it zach moss and it is most definitely melvin gordon No better transition than going from Zach Moss to Christian McCaffrey as we talk about this (laughs) Panthers at Packers game. No CMC. You have to wonder if he'll just be shut down for the season at this point. We don't know. Maybe he'll come back for for week 16. Every week that he misses obviously reduces that likelihood, but there are always player incentives, etc. baked into different contracts. So you never know what people are playing for, and I am not. Uh, his agent or his attorney. So I don't have that information <laughs> off the top of my head. But while Christian McCaffrey will be out, we know that, that what that means for Mike Davis coming off of a huge effort um, in a gettable matchup that we've seen plenty of running backs capitalize against the Packers. We also know that DJ Moore is back. Curtis Samuel was back last week and then added to the practice report today. We're recording Thursday with a hamstring injury. Soft tissue issues, obviously a little bit tricky. You never know if they can are re-aggravated. Um, so keep an eye on that situation. I will say if Curtis Samuel takes the field, we like him, especially with CMC out, even with the hamstring injury. Yeah, I had to, I, this, and this is agonizing. Like, I, I've got a bunch of Samuel, too, and had him, like, in the in the upper teens in the wide receiver ranks. I, I thought it was just going to be a great play this week. It is, it is worrisome when somebody um, doesn't begin the week on the injury report and an injury pops up on a Thursday. Like, we don't like to see that. So, you, you'd, ideally, you'd like to see a full practice on Friday. Um, you'd at least like to see his involvement on Friday to to reassure us that uh, it's not anything terribly significant. But uh, Green Bay has been, you know, it's obviously it's their, you know, they, they, they may go into the NFC playoffs as the number one seed. Um, their defense has been a little bit of a problem. It's not bad. Um, you can probably make it to the Super Bowl with this defense, but they've been very generous to opposing running backs. They give up over four and a half yards per carry. We've seen we've seen some running backs blow up on them this year. Uh, it's a it's kind of a gettable secondary too. It's not you know it's not really a stay away matchup. So I feel pretty good about all Panthers in this one. Even Robbie Anderson dealing with Jair Alexander and the other. Yeah, I mean, a- I- assuming Curtis Samuel plays, like then the volume being a, a little bit diminished. 
there's so much that feels up in the air on this one. And I, mm-hmm. I actually think the harder question would be if you've got DJ Moore, because DJ Moore isn't just coming back from the COVID list. He's coming back from an ankle injury, had an ankle injury, went into a bye, right? And then and then went straight to the COVID list. So we don't know to what extent he's actually banged up. We know there's no way he's been practicing for, I don't know, three weeks, something like that. Um, so I'm a little bit concerned about DJ Moore. Anderson has just been such a the volume has gone his way just absolutely every week. And it would be very difficult for me to steer clear of that um, here. So just to contextualize for our listeners, we're thinking, Alan, uh, we're thinking Robbie Anderson, wide receiver 20 range, maybe just inside the top 20. Yeah, that's about where I've had him. I don't know, for the last six weeks or so. It's where I have him right now. Uh, he Again, he's just such a good bet for somewhere between eight and 12 targets each week. And it's there's just not that many receivers like that. It's been strange to see his role and DJ Moore's roles essentially re- reverse from what you might have imagined coming mm-hmm. into the season. DJ Moore's the one with the, you know, with all the air yards. He's the guy with the average intended air yards of like 13 points something. So he's been he's been more the deep threat than Robbie Anderson. But Anderson has just been so bankable in, in PPR formats. It would be it would be really difficult for me to go away from him in the fantasy semis. Week 15 intended air yard stat. Mr. Aaron, Andy Barron's everyone. Look at that. <laughs> We've closed out Saturday, so let's talk about the early games on Sunday. First, we have Seattle traveling to our nation's capital. It's going to be Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, all versus one Russell Wilson, who, by the way, has taken 40 sacks so far on the season. Thank you, Carson Wentz. That's the second most, not the most among quarterbacks on the season. I've talked about my my personal attachments to the Washington football team, but I think it is fun to watch a team that is young and frisky and developing. And there, there's just so many interesting storylines. I should also mention at this point, um, Antonio Gibson is unlikely to play on Sunday. He's still dealing with that toe injury. Um, Alex Smith, ugh, optimistic, but uh, honestly, Andy, I feel like fantasy managers should plan on having Dwayne Haskins, which seems wild given where we were in October. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit hopeful for Alex Smith. It's kind of it kind of feels like all bets are off for the offense if uh, if we don't get Alex Smith, which is a weird thing to say. He's just Alex Smith. It's been a nice story. Like, I think there's, you know hope for Dwayne Haskins being, a, if not a starting quality quarterback, like one of one of the best 35 or 40 quarterbacks in the world, right? Like, I don't think Dwayne Haskins ruins anything necessarily. But I, I think a key uh, when you look at all the skill pieces here is that we, we probably need Alex Smith behind center for J.D. McKissick to have the day that you might be hoping for, right? Like if J.D. McKissick is going to have one of those 10, 12 target games, that is definitely coming with uh, with Alex Smith and probably not with uh, with Dwayne Haskins. Like the defense is what's so exciting with Washington, which may, may not have great fantasy spillover or anything like that. But I mean, this, this is a huge litmus test game for them, obviously. Uh, the, the Giants performed very well against Seattle, got a, got a huge win that I don't think anybody saw coming. Like it would be big if like it would tell us an awful lot about the Washington football team if they can actually limit um, Seattle in the same way. I just want to mention Terry McLaurin because you bring up good points about the backfield. Gibson missing McKissick coming off of a a solid fantasy performance. Um, And we know what Peyton Barber would theoretically do in that offense as well. But 
Terry McLaurin, over the first month of the season, managed over 80 yards. This was with Dwayne Haskins under center in three of his first four games, over 100 yards in two of those first four games. He also found the end zone once. So I'm not as worried about McLaurin being able to produce in the semis with Dwayne Haskins. I think it might be kind of, I don't know, it might be kind of fun to see Dwayne Haskins. But then again, uh, if I'm thinking, it might, it's fun from a real football perspective. I don't know if you are thinking anything is fun during week 15 for fantasy. <laughs> yeah, I can I can guarantee people are not thinking anything is like everything is fun right now. The the questions like I've gotten a lot of McLaurin questions and I get it. This is back-to-back games. Now like he hadn't had a dud really all season and he's now giving you back-to-back games with only two catches and I, I think it's 38 yards over his last two, which is obviously not paying the paying the fantasy bills. He's still Terry McLaurin, like he's still going to be something like an 1100-yard receiver. He's still generally one of the fastest guys on the field at any given time. Obviously, a great relationship with Haskins. He was he was doing perfectly well with Haskins, as you say. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't really sweat that. Um, Seattle is is a somewhat complicated defense. Like they've obviously been last against the pass all year in terms of total yards against. A little piece of that has always been that there are so many pass attempts against Seattle, um, mm-hmm. especially early in the year. They were just they were just burying teams early and forcing teams to to go to the air. And so a lot of yards were piled up against them. And now they've been like these last four or five weeks. Some of this is quality opponent. There's there's a lot of noise in there. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not terrified uh, by the Giants offense or anything like that. It's been it's been some of it who they played, but they've also gotten better. They've added some talent to the defense. So it's not, it's not quite the layup pass defense, I guess, is what I'm trying to say that, uh, that it was earlier in the season. It's a very good point. Our own Scott Pianowski made a similar one on Twitter a couple of days ago. And I, I looked at the stats and the Seattle Seahawks, people love the fantasy points allowed stat have allowed the fewest fantasy points. And you mentioned the quality of opponent, right? So that factors in over the fewest fantasy points to opposing wide receivers over the last four weeks. And they have allowed zero touchdowns to a wide receiver over the last four weeks. So that's, um, I I still feel like I'm, I'm maybe not the touchdown, but I still feel like Terry McLaurin can get you over 75 yards in this one. I'm not particularly. Yeah, I almost, I almost felt bad mentioning it because they face like Sam Darnold and Colt McCoy and Carson Wentz. And like, it just hasn't been, it hasn't been a murderer's row of quarterbacks. So you would expect any defense to look pretty good against what they've faced. But it is, but it is notable that nobody went off against them. Are we downgrading Russell Wilson at all? You know, the, the sacks that I mentioned at the top, the D-line in Washington that I, I mentioned, like, are we, and, and the momentum, frankly, that they are surging now. Um, and this is a home effort for them. They're not traveling across yeah. the country. Um, we've seen, you know, one of those first Russell Wilson after the first, you know, couple of weeks of the season, his first across the country game was when he started to falter. I'm not putting a lot of weight into that. We know these are professional athletes, etc. but it's something because we have seen the cracks now. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit Wilson for one of the sort of flavor of the week streamable quarterbacks. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. If you're somebody that's kept him, you know, uh, for whatever reason, you've had Russell Wilson and some other high end quarterback on your team all season long. Uh, who might that be? That might be like Tom Brady, somebody like that. Then I think there's a real conversation to to have between those two, because like Washington is just purely legit. There's no like there's nothing fluky about that defense when they're all healthy. It's pretty it's it's pretty awesome. Um, and and Chase Young is going to be a problem for the next decade. Like he's, he's great. He's absolutely great. So 
Yeah, and and the Giants handled him. All the little Russell Wilson flourishes that he often gets away with, you know, the spin where he turns his back to the line of scrimmage and he he runs for four more seconds before launching a ball deep downfield. Like he got away with none of that. Um, they corralled him right away before he could spin out of trouble. So, and and Washington clearly has the personnel to do the same thing. You mentioned Tom Brady, and I'm assuming part of the reason is his matchup against the Falcons. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about that game. First things first for the Buccaneers coming off of a massive performance. Oh, well, I felt I told someone to sit Ronald Jones last week and I still haven't let let it go. I have to sage myself <laughs> because I've been holding. Sometimes you make a call and you're like, this is, uh, I don't know. And you go one way and other times I don't feel bad about it. But I did feel bad about that one was I was watching was wincing, not for myself, but for the advice, um, which is something, by the way, we do all the time. So when you guys come yeah. at us and you say, and you say, oh, thanks to you, I blah, blah, blah. You don't think we are feeling your energetic-ish as well. Like, we're walking around with the weight. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> you can talk to my therapist about it. Rojo, by the way, so mentioning Ronald Jones, he had a pinky, situ a pin put in his pinky earlier this week, and then popped up on the COVID reserve list. So we can be pretty sure he's not suiting up on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, it it seems like we're going to get Leonard Fournette, who was who was not even in the game plan a week ago uh, and has not been obviously has not been terribly impressive this year. Like this has been not even quietly. I mean, it's been a, a bit of a breakout year for Ronald Jones. He's still averaging around five yards per carry. And Fournette is nowhere near that. Fournette is what you might have expected were he still in Jacksonville. It's like three point nine yards per carry. Hasn't been spectacular. He's dropped a bunch of passes, but he might get a lot of volume here and he might get a lot of volume in presumably uh, a positive game script if uh, if Tampa indeed gets up on Atlanta. So it's a it's a pretty good spot for him. I don't I don't trust him as a player, but there's not that many guys out there who I would say, yeah, he's he's a good bet for 18 plus touches. So I think that kind of forces him into the into the RB2 flex conversation. I think I have him in RB2 flex as well. So I love that you made that uh, point about him being a healthy scratch last week because I think a lot of people are like, oh no, is, does this mean LaShawn McCoy who mustered some, you know, some chunk gains last week? It, it, no, it's still not. Like it's not It's not Keyshawn Vaughn season. I don't know, guys, if we're ever going to see Keyshawn Vaughn season. Yeah. But I think you're right that it is Leonard Fournette and I have him in that RB2, RB3 range. Um, but Interestingly, when I looked at the over-under on this game, I was surprised that it was only at about 50, 50 and a half. One, some place had it as low as like 46 and a half. And I have to imagine that's because we still don't have an answer about Julio Jones. Maybe Vegas does. Yeah. And I'm assuming the lower <laughs> the lower point, point total is factoring in his absence. Yeah, it's such a it's such a different offense without Julio on the field. Ryan is such a different passer. Um, Ryan was Ryan was just miserable last week. Russell Gage threw the best pass for the Falcons all day. Uh, re really ugly performance from Ryan. Like, you know that Calvin Ridley is going to get his, and that's really nice. Um, but it just changes changes the math for defenses when Julio's not out there. Um, makes that team relatively easy to defend. Nobody's worried about the run game from Atlanta. Todd Gurley's barely playing. Right. So uh, Julio's absence is is just a huge deal. And I'm not I'm not overly optimistic as we as we speak on Thursday. I agree. I think if you are looking for a plug in PPR friendly formats, the answer is Russell Gage. He was yeah. drafted quite a few rounds, I believe in the sixth round after Calvin Ridley, same year though. And he has emerged as like a, he and he and Ryan have chemistry. That's pretty obvious. We've seen that. Like, I don't expect him to throw a touchdown, obviously again in week 15, <laughs> but Hayden Hurst is doing a whole lot of nothing, right? 
Um, I think he's caught two balls over his last two games. So a catch in back-to-back efforts, that's not really enough for me to be the least bit confident. Um, And then Zacchaeus is on IR with a toe issue. So uh, I think that, you know, again, are you going to see Russell Gage pop the way he did last week? Probably not. But in PPR-friendly formats, he is a flex that you can throw in. Yep, fully fully agree. And this, again, this backfield is just a mess to stay away from. Last week, actually, Ito Smith led the backfield in snaps. Uh, it was 25-19 to 19 over Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley really not looking too spry. It's frustrating about Ito Smith and Todd Gurley because I'd been watching that matchup in week 13 thinking, you know, Todd Gurley was being eased in or whatever verbiage the coaching staff was using. And I really thought that if this weren't such a shared backfield, Ito Smith, who had popped in previous seasons, right, like could have some run and look pretty good. Lord knows his legs are fresh. So uh, <laughs> it, it's frustrating because I think he he could have some fantasy value were he not cannibalized by the contract, the albatross yeah. of a contract that they used to sign Todd Gurley. Yeah, I, I agree. And Brian Hill still still sees the field. So it's like Hill is playing 10 snaps. The other guys are playing like 20 and 25. And it's just not enough playing time for any one guy to have significant fantasy upside. Let's talk about Houston at Indianapolis. This is another, this is a, a division rival game, obviously, but kind of a sad one. We've been, I, Every time I go to watch this, <laughs> yeah. Last week, good for Deshaun Watson for finishing that game after he at Soldier Field after he left with the elbow injury. I mean, I don't know. I would have walked my ass home. I get or to O'Hare, like just no more. Thank you. That's my time. It, it uh, sparked a you, bunch of conversations about whether or not they should even finish the seat. Like you can't get him hurt. Like uh, all sorts of things are already wrong for Houston, right? They've got a coaching search ahead of them. They traded away their draft. Um, you can't get Deshaun Watson hurt. And we're we're at the point now where it's like, what are, what are we even doing here? You always want to applaud these players for finishing tough, for being competitive. But I can't help think about RG3 and a coaching staff who didn't pull them even though, and he wasn't yeah. going to take his own ass off the field, right? Like you see him limping around and we already know that Watson in, has torn his ACL and he sat consistently and his O-line is nothing. And now, okay, fine. He gets Brandon Cooks back this week. Hooray. He gets David Johnson expecting to return. Fantastic. So David Johnson's going to put up like, I don't know, like he's going to run for 56 yards or some bull. <laughs> That is that is kind of his specialty this year. Yeah, you can you can reliably expect like 15 touches, 60 yards out of out of David Johnson, probably not a touchdown in a difficult matchup. And that, you know, that's why we bury him in the ranks. That's why he's, I don't know, an RB3 right now. So what would you do with Deshaun Watson? Noting the matchup, noting this defense, noting that there's like playoff implications for Indianapolis at play because they're in the same division, etc., how are you feeling about Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I don't feel good. And it's, no. uh, again, it's it's no disrespect to Deshaun Watson at all, right? Like, he's played phenomenally well. He's been, he's been like, a pleasure to watch throughout this season. He's really been great. This record is not on Deshaun Watson, but I have him, I have him at, like, QB 11 right now. I mean, he's, you know, if we were redrafting the NFL from scratch, he would be a top five quarterback, no question. I find him very difficult to trust in this one. I've got like it, it, like Taysom Hill versus Deshaun Watson. I might feel a little bit better about Taysom Hill. I feel better about Tom Brady. I feel better about Ryan Tannehill. There's just a bunch of names that, I, that I've got ahead of Deshaun right now. Um, again, this is a difficult matchup. Indianapolis has been pretty good all season long uh, against both the run and pass. That's a pretty legit defense. Um, and mm-hmm. without, without Fuller, 
an injured Brandon Cooks as your number one is not ideal. It's fine. It's not ideal. These are just not the weapons that we that we want uh, in front of Deshaun, and he's clearly banged up too. I agree, Andrew. I have him as my QB ten as well. Uh, I have yeah. him QB ten. You have him QB eleven. Um, I keep getting questions. Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, who we'll talk about a little bit later, or Deshaun Watson. And that, I think, is an interesting conversation. Like, that is one that gives me pause. And I think I'd probably lean toward, despite the fact that this is not reflected in my rankings, I would probably advise Hertz because I'm not sure Watson finishes this game. Yeah, it's a, that's such a hard call. And, and I agree. I, I, I think I've seen that question as well. They're just in entirely different tiers as passers. That's the that's the thing for me. I mean, obviously, Hertz has the cheat code of perhaps being able to run for 60 to 100 yards in any given week, which is really difficult to to overcome. I don't know that there's much chance that we see a 300 yard passing effort from Hertz, maybe, maybe, but he still has to deal with all the He's got all those problems that Wentz had, right? He's got the the leaky offensive line. He's got the sketchy receiving core and all that. And you know, I think it's I think it's going to be impressive enough if we can get 180 passing yards out of Jalen Hurts. And then we're like to bank on what he did last week as just a baseline for what he's going to do going forward. That's not really realistic. So I think I'd, I think I'd still lean to Sean there. Okay, that is fair. For the record, I have him just oh I have him projected for just over a hundred. I'm just over two hundred passing yards but we'll talk to him talk about him when we get there um philip rivers league winner what's up baby against this <laughs> defense who's <laughs> not coming i think so we all know we're starting jonathan taylor like we're not yapping yeah. about it if you waited this long and it finally happened congratulations there are a lot of players like that a lot of running backs in particular if you if you waited and you stashed the breakout came and you were still alive in the playoffs kudos take 400 bows so jonathan taylor the question is Will Houston have enough fight to encourage Phillip Rivers to put up points, or will it just be so much fun like it was for Mitch Trubisky that Rivers is going to feel himself and throw it around the yard? Yeah, um, Mitch had to do, like, Mitch had a great half, right, and then didn't have to do anything in the second half. So whatever you get, I mean, I I hate to think that it's just going to go that way for Houston for the rest of the season, but I do expect it to to kind of flow that way this week. Um, Whatever Phillip Rivers does for you probably has to happen in the first half of this game. I I would expect them to get up. And then ride Jonathan Taylor, who's, as you say, I mean, it's like three straight 90-yard games. has been really good. He's finally taken over in the backfield like a month and a half after you wanted it to happen. But Rivers has also been like, he's just two or three touchdowns every week for like the last month and a half. So he's been pretty reliable. But the the problem with Rivers, you have the Jacoby Brissett thing to worry about, right? He's got his own little Taysom Hill problem where they run somebody out of the field when they get inside the five-yard line. That's a that's a huge nuisance. Um, it takes away some some touchdown potential. So I like Philip Rivers has just become the sort of quarterback where the floor and the ceiling are really close, and the the you know the floor is like two touchdowns and two hundred fifty yards, and the ceiling is like two hundred ninety yards and three touchdowns and a and a pick. There's always a pick in there. You don't quite crack the top ten. Like he's fine. Um, he won't be the reason. He probably won't be the reason that you advance in the playoffs, but you can start him. You know, but he's he's just not going to be like a weak winner for you. QB 15 all around. Let's just yeah. split the difference. We've mentioned Mitch Trubisky a couple of times, so let's get to this Bears-Vikings matchup. Um, small sample size God, Mitch Trubisky, ninth in pass yardage, <laughs> second in touchdowns over the last three weeks. Um, I mean, ho- holla at your boy, Andy. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's been a phenomenal schedule. And this this creates a real-life problem for the Bears, obviously, because Trubisky could finish the season very well. Um, and... 
you know, it's as long as this front office stays in place, then they're going to want to convince themselves that this is really a thing. And these are real gains. And just a lot of it has obviously a great deal to do with the schedule. They've seen they've seen Detroit. They're seeing Minnesota. They're going to see Jacksonville. They've seen Houston, like all of these soft defenses. And, And Mitch has delivered like to his credit. He's delivered. He's always been good in situations where the first read is there and the ball flies out of his hand. And like he's had some games. I can't say that he doesn't have any of the traits that you want to see in a quarterback. Obviously, long-term, he still still misfires a lot, but we're not talking about a good defense here. So I, I think Mitch is very much in the in the uh, QB1 conversation. Uh, I might have a bold prediction about Mitch later later in the pod. Like, he's, oh. he's, like, I don't think he's good. I don't think he's, I don't think he's good necessarily, but this Bears end of season schedule is just incredible. Um, and it gets, it gets easier from here too. So I, I, I think he's probably in for another good week. And this is where we have to face the seasonal fantasy conundrum of reconciling the difference between a real life quarterback that's good and a good fantasy quarterback. So I will yeah. I will wait patiently for your bold prediction. Let's go further down the Bears depth chart. I do want to mention you mentioned that the Vikings defense is not hashtag good. They're also going to be they're bang, they're banged up. They're likely to be without Eric Kendricks, which I think behooves a lot of the Bears offense. In particular, Cole Komet, who was on my deep sleepers list last week after running 33 routes in back-to-back games. Of course, it was Jimmy Graham who ends up scoring the touchdown, but I would not give up on Komet yet. I do like him in this matchup. He, uh, I believe, drew seven targets, so he got the volume and Graham got the touchdown, but you know, if you're living the stream, go ahead and continue to use Komet in this one. Yeah, this is two games in a row that he's uh, outsnapped Jimmy. Like it was weird that Jimmy Graham even got on the field to catch a touchdown pass because Komet is playing ahead of him, and this is two weeks in a row with seven targets for him. So the volume is pretty steady, and like as bad as tight end has been this year, I, I actually think Komet is in the is in the starting discussion. If you're in a if you're in like a 14 team league and you are not the guy who uh, drafted a, a guy or, or a woman who drafted Kelsey this year, right? Like, I think Komet is very much in the in the starting conversation because there's just not that many tight ends that are a pretty solid lock for six to eight targets. How about our boy Dave Montgomery coming up with it? <laughs> Did, last week during the halftime show, Matt asked me, uh, and this was during, you know, like the, the first quarter and a half of the Bears game, what are you thinking about David Montgomery? And I was like, I think he might be like hmm, RB15, RB14 throughout the rest of the season. Uh, that was a conservative estimate. I think he's like an RB10 through the rest of the season, especially as you're mentioning the the mat, uh, the schedule uh, against yeah, Jacksonville next like week. It, it's not just Minnesota. It's like this has just been an incredible runway for these guys. Like it was, it was Green Bay then Detroit that at the time was giving up the most fantasy points to opposing running backs, then Houston, now Minnesota, and then it's Jacksonville, and then it's Green Bay again. Like, this is just going to be an incredible run of games for Montgomery. It's going to be hard to screw this up because he's also, like, he's getting all this receiving volume now, too, in the absence of Tariq Cohen. I mean, he's he's very reliable in terms of, like, 18 to 22, sometimes 24, 25 touches. Like, you know the volume's going to be there. These these D's are just so soft that he's playing down the stretch. I mean, like Minnesota needs this game. This could actually end up being sort of a, you know, mired in the in the mud slap fight of a game. Right. Like the the loser of this game is definitely out of it. The the winner is still clinging to some sort of playoff probability. Right. And the loser of this game is is just leaving town. They got they got no hope. But uh, so it's a it's a super meaningful game. If either of these teams really thinks that they can do anything in the postseason. 
But yeah, I, this is, it's just a crazy, a crazy schedule for Montgomery. He's taking full advantage of it. Let's talk about the Vikings then, though, because you're making a great point. This is a home game for them. I'm, they're obviously the uh, the favorite. You imagine the Trubisky is going to be chasing points. I believe last time I checked, uh, the Bears were actually only three-point underdogs. But Kirk came back down to earth last week, uh, 225 yards, one touchdown versus Tampa Bay. So not a particularly great matchup again this week against a Bears team that might have some uh, Bears defense more specifically that looks like they still got some fight left in them. Uh, yeah, having Akeem Hicks in the mix is uh, is a huge deal for him. And I, I'd kind of like I'd kind of written him off for dead because they, uh, you know, they played a couple games against Detroit and Green Bay where they just looked um, overwhelmed and, and they gave up like 75 total points in those games. Huge efforts from Rodgers and Stafford. Um, and, but they came uh, like they were great last week. They were they were they were really, really good. Um, and that's going to present a problem. Like, you know what Minnesota wants to do They basically throw the ball to two people. They lean heavily on Dalvin Cook. And if they if they have their way, then Kirk is only going to throw the ball 20 to 25 times. I don't know if that's going to be the script here because the Bears are the Bears have been such a uh, just schizophrenic defense. Um, so bad for a couple games there and then came mm-hmm. back to life against Houston. And if we get that effort against Minnesota, like this game could end up, I don't know, this could be one of those weirdly ugly 19 to 16 sort of games that could definitely happen. I was interested to see, and I was hoping that the Bears might take a note out of out of what Tampa Bay, what Todd Bowles did, blitzing so frequently. I mean, I think Kirk Cousins took six sacks for over a 50-yard loss total in last week's game, and you know that the Bears personnel has that in them, right? So it would be lovely to see as a Bears fan that be implemented, taking what Tampa Bay was able to do and and putting it on the field on on Sunday at Minnesota. I I do think that there's an opportunity for a pass catcher that is not either Justin Jefferson or Adam Thielen, but I will talk about this young gentleman later as part of a bold prediction. So if you don't mind, I'll ask you really quickly, do you think this is off the top of my head? Do you think that Kirk Cousins will, and I agree with you that you know the probability here of this being a low scoring game is certainly high. We don't know what we're going to get out of the Bears defense, but over under 270 passing yards. Oh, I'd go under. All right, let's keep that in mind. I'm, I'm just asking Andy here for personal takes. Let's talk about <laughs> uh, Detroit, Detroit at Tennessee because we're talking about the Bears, so leave us alone. Detroit at Tennessee. Uh, Matt Stafford didn't practice on Thursday. Probably not looking great for Sunday. Kenny Galladay, y'all, Kenny Galladay is like not coming back. I don't, I don't, yeah. I get questions every week, and I have said every week if he does come back, it's in week 17 so he can get paid it's not because he gives a crap about coming back from this hip injury like this to me is yeah definitely like i would like to get paid and not get hurt thank you very much (laughs) yeah yeah no i i fully agree with that i don't think he's coming back either um there's not there's not much hope of it like i don't know if if i mean i think he's a plausible drop at this point if people haven't dropped him i i don't think we're going to see him by week 16 i agree uh so then the question becomes if chase daniels is leading this offense and there's no Kenny Galladay and we know what the other pieces look like. I'm most interested to see what Ryan Tannehill does with that because we know we've known what Tennessee would like to do. Now, lucky for them, they don't have to just run Derrick Henry, right? They have the tools and the talent and the weaponry to pass if they need to. But obviously with, especially with Derrick Henry needing just a hundred uh, he needs 156 yards per game to get to 2,000. So that's a, a milestone worth 
noting, right? And and probably like a goal, a personal goal that a, a player might set. Is Ryan Tannehill going to pass for enough in this? Because I don't imagine Detroit doing anything. Yeah, like obviously there are opportunities against Detroit's defense. You can do whatever you want to against them. This is just about the best possible matchup for a running back. So if they care, if Henry cares, if the team cares about getting him to 2,000 yards, th- this is where you can take a huge step. Like this is a this is a, an opponent against which you can run for like 225, right? Like that's in play right. for Derrick Henry. 225 and three touchdowns is definitely in play. I also like on the so much of this comes down to Chase Daniel, too, because obviously you can imagine Matthew Stafford against any opponent leading four or five scoring drives. I don't think you're getting that from Daniel. Um, You might you might get three, two of which end in field goals. Right. Like, I I just don't think obviously he's not the same caliber quarterback. Um, So there is certainly a possibility that like but Ryan Tannehill does so much with so few attempts. And we've seen that over the last two years. It's very difficult for me in such a friendly matchup, knowing also that like A.J. Brown doesn't need very many targets in order to score twice. And Corey Davis has been really good on relatively low volume. Like it just doesn't have to be, you know, Ryan Tannehill isn't somebody who needs 40 pass attempts in order to to give you 280 yards and three touchdowns. Like he can do that on 20. We've seen it in the past. And I, I just I, I don't think Detroit is a formidable enough opponent to to really worry about Tannehill's volume. I mean, like it's some they're they're going to have to put up a huge number in order to get it to a game that just becomes the Derrick Henry show. So I, I think Tannehill is definitely part of that. I don't think, I mean, I think he's clearly a top eight play this week, certainly within the top 10. But I always like to think about, I always like to think about the opponent and not just the matchup especially when they're missing a star player. But you make a, go- a good point about volume not necessary for production in this one. Um, so when we're looking at Detroit and Tennessee, we're not looking at a defensive struggle by any means. But when we move to New England at Miami, well, then we certainly are talking about two strong defenses and a little bit of a personal rivalry here, a student versus teacher rivalry. I'm excited for this game from a real football perspective I'm also excited to see which of these squads scores the most defensive touchdowns do you have a prediction (laughs) about that this is um this game is so hard to to sort of gauge from uh our perspective on a Thursday because like I we still don't know which Miami receivers are are any Miami receivers going to play in this game right like Devontae Parker has come back to practice but he was injured uh, in week 14. Jakeem Grant was injured in week 14. Mike Gesicki had an injury in week 14 that uh, you thought in the moment was going to end his season. I mean, he was like, you know, you thought it was a broken collarbone. You Like, it looked terrible. And now he's returned to practice, apparently, in a limited capacity. So there's at least some hope that these guys are going to be able to go. And that's going to, like, I was really impressed by by Tua last week. And I have been mostly impressed by by Tua throughout the season. I still think... I'm getting to a point where I now think that maybe the difference between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't so substantial that it wasn't worth just rolling him out there. Like he's, he's been very good. Like the, the first interception he threw was just not even his fault at all. It was, it was in the hands of his receiver. He's, he's also, he's been lucky on a couple of balls that he's thrown this year that could have been picked off, but he's like so much has changed about him. And in his first few games that we saw from Tua, he wasn't really pushing the ball downfield. Now he's like in the top third of the league in in air yards per attempt. Like now he's now he's really pushing the ball down the field when he's got his full complement of receivers. 
that's a pretty fun offense. And I, I hate to just fall back on the idea that, oh, Bill Belichick can shut down any rookie quarterback because he, he did do it with Justin Herbert. Like, there's a possibility that we get that. Miami's defense is just so good, too. And, and New England's passing game has been so inept that I, I, I'd be surprised if New England puts up any kind of big number here. It might be a low-scoring game. It is a huge test for Tua. And my, my ultimate rank on Tua is going to depend a lot on whether guys like Parker and Gasicki can actually get back. Projected over under right now, not knowing the status of the receiving core, basically, um, for Miami is at 41.5. And, and Miami is the favorite by 1.5 points. I love that. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean like, I don't even I don't even know how you'd approach that as a better right now. Not know, like with so many key pieces for Miami that we where we just don't know their status. I will tell you, I'm thinking of it. The, here's my thought. I think I, I don't th- I just don't feel like Mike Gusecki is going to take the field. I think that there might be some 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 sorcery going around like we know where coach flow comes from we know about yeah, yeah. the tight-lipped version of of injuries right of course all of these players are limited on thursday that's a very murky sort of status i think that's intentional this is my own personal take this is how i am dealing with it as someone who has exposure to these players on some of my own teams so i'm going to prepare for mikaseki to not play proactively i think that lynn bowden then who we did see lead the pass catchers again after it was decimated we saw him lead the pass catchers last week the interesting thing to me about bowden and gaseki is that gaseki has really he works well and Harmon has mentioned this with tua because of the timing and accuracy that tua leads with and that works out really well for an uber athlete like gaseki especially given that he's being used as a slot weapon. Lynn Bowden also is taking the majority of over 70%, in fact, same percentage nearly as Gusecki, smaller sample size, obviously, out of the slot as well. So I think that that is the substitution, especially when you look at the part of the field that they're most working in. And the exciting piece about Bowden, not just the dual eligibility, you're welcome. You can continue to write thank you letters to Ty Montgomery for that bullshit. But the fact that you you can use him as a running, you know, he was drafted as a running back, but he's being used as a wide receiver. And he is really shifty in space. Like, that's the exciting thing about him. And I can like, this is a guy, if you want the moonshot and you're not going to get like, I can see him tearing off a, a 40 yard after the catch game. Oh, absolutely. Super fun player with a, you know, his, we talked about it on the, on the pickups podcast, his collegiate usage was, was crazy, right? Like he was a, he was a quarterback who led the team in rushing and also led the team in receiving. And the year before had been like a volume receiver, like 700 plus yards. Um, he, he's done a little bit of everything. Like he has, he has absolutely every tool, like, and, and that's exactly what Miami needs right now because everyone is banged up. Literally everyone in the backfield is banged up or sick. Everyone in the receiving core that matters is dealing with an injury. So he's just a he's a perfect chess piece for him right now. Um, super impressive player. Like, I, I don't think that Lynn Bowden can overcome, you know, great coverage. Like, but I don't think we're going to see a shadow corner or anything like that on him either. Um, really fun player. Jacksonville at Baltimore. Uh, whatever was old is new again, because Hollywood Brown, Miles Boykin and uh, James Prochet are all on the COVID reserve list now. For Baltimore, oh, but hey, good news. Des Bryant can set down his wine glass because he has been uh, activated <laughs> off of said list. 
Yeah, that news actually led me to to pick up uh, Willie Sneed in a handful of leagues, and he's become like a really kind of thorny uh, sit start decision for me. I've got a couple of I don't know. I've got I've got some work to do on Willie Sneed because I'm trying to talk myself into it. It's one of those things where I'm spending. I'm probably going to spend the next two days just talking myself into actually starting him. As you know, it it could go bad for Willie Sneed. It often does. Um, it could easily be two catches for twenty two yards. Um, he does have like two touchdown potential though. We've seen it before. This receiving core has gotten really thin now. I, I feel like it's probably just going to be Andrews and Sneed. Um, of course, this is also one of those games where, you know, like Baltimore had a bunch of these early in the season where um, it just wasn't a competitive game for a, a long enough period of time for the the for Lamar to really rack up stats, right? Um, this has that feel um, <laughs> like in abundance. Um, it's entirely possible that this is not a particularly competitive game and we just don't get much out of Lamar at all. Well, that's because the defense can you, as we talked about with Detroit, right? You can do anything you want to them. So yeah. this is an opportunity to just get out of there as fast as possible, run the ball, be done with it. J.K. Dobbins has worked his way up of up our rankings since the well, gosh, definitely since the summer, but certainly over the season, he's now in that top fifteen range. You've got Gus Edwards in that twenty five ish range. Would you say that's about right? About yeah, 10 those spots were actually. Behind? Those were actually the numbers I was going to pull. I think I think Dobbins is a top 15 running back. I think Edwards is still a top 25 running back. And I expect the second half of this game to be basically the Dobbins and Edwards show. Are we at all excited or holding out hope? Maybe that's a better way to phrase it for DJ Tark and Gardner Minshew to reunite and set some sparks. And I only I know that people are like, well, when I look at the matchup, Baltimore, but we have consistently seen, yes, in hard fought battles, but we've consistently seen Baltimore secondary not stay on the field the entire game because they are continually dinged up. Yeah, I like and we just saw Cleveland put up 42 against against Baltimore. So I don't want to I don't want to treat Baltimore as if it's a total stay away defense at this point, because stay away defenses don't give up 42 points to to anyone, maybe the Chiefs, but not anyone else, certainly not to Cleveland. So I like, yeah, I think I think it's plausible anyway. I forget what Chark's price is in our daily game right now, but it's really cheap. And I've been tempted by it because he is by far the most talented player who's available at like, I don't know what it is, like $18 or something like that. He's very cheap. Yeah, yeah, it's really cheap. And you can't find like that kind of talent at 16, 17, 18 bucks. So I, I have been tempted by that. It is better that they have finally gone to not that Gardner Minshew is, is a world beater by any means, but he is pretty clearly their best quarterback. I don't even think that's debatable. So it's, it helps Chark there. I am excited to see James Robinson have another game against a, a pretty good defense. Like that's just been, I don't know, kind of low key, the best one, one of my favorite fantasy stories of the season. Cause he just does it against everybody. He does it against every opponent, no matter who you put in front of him. He's good for 80 plus yards, usually a touchdown. He's been, he's been really fun. San Francisco at Dallas, Debo Samuel, uh, he's dealing with a hamstring injury. He's going to be out for a while, maybe the rest of the year. So in his stead, though, Brandon Ayuk has looked incredible. He is a top 14, 15 play this week, certainly a solid wide receiver, too, especially when given the matchup. Uh, Raheem Mostert not looking good for Sunday, so that to me, means it's Jeff Wilson time. I always love Jeff Wilson time. I love the story of Jeff Wilson. I love that he got back onto the field after yeah. having himself a run and then being hurt so dramatically earlier in the season. And if you're talking about values, my goodness, Jeff Wilson in daily is an incredible value. He's only 18 bucks, which is 
at Dallas, a perfect flex price if you want to go a little more expensive with Derrick Henry or one of those running backs, David Montgomery, who's, you know, more highly priced. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Jeff Wilson was the was the ad of the week, certainly um, widely available in Yahoo leagues coming into this week. Um, and there's a chance like even if even if Mostert's able to play and and I think he was maybe he was limited on Thursday. But he, I mean, this is a guy who got an MRI on like Monday. Right. And has dealt with ankle Anthony issues fans. all year and has been pretty much in a in a job share since coming back. So there's there's no chance that Raheem Mostert like takes over that backfield off of this week, off of this practice week. That's not happening at all. We're definitely seeing Jeff Wilson get like, I would say on the low end, like 14 carries in this game. And it's, and it's Dallas. It is the defense that ranks dead last in the NFL at defending the run. They give up like 160 rushing yards per game. They give up, you know, five plus per carry is an exceedingly friendly matchup. So um, I, I think Jeff Wilson is like, if you can still find him on a waiver wire, there's a there's a good bet that I would start him over anybody that you might happen to have in a flex right now. We wanted to say thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. Sunday late games, Andy. Let's go. Potential Super Bowl preview. The Chiefs at the Saints. I really, when I initially set my rankings, thank you, actualiers on Twitter, I believed that Drew Brees was going to make his way to the field for this game. I thought that that would be strategic, actually. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So now I've got Taysom Hill as my QB 11, and I'm lumping it. Yeah, there have been a few mixed signals on Drew Brees. It was just such a like such a terrifying injury. I mean, every once in a while, I think back to the actual carnage of that injury. Eleven broken ribs and a collapsed lung is just like, I mean, if he can make it back to the field by week 16, week 17, that would be super impressive. Um, Taysom Hill hasn't been he's not a clinic as a passer, right? Like it hasn't been perfect. But he hasn't like he hasn't been bad either. And the rushing upside is so clear and his the the likelihood that he gets 10 carries in every game and he's and he's good with those carries um, is promising. And then the fact that um, Alvin Kamara was was suddenly involved as a as a receiving threat again last week mm-hmm. was, first of all, huge sigh of relief. Like anybody who's who's uh, tied to Alvin Kamara, that was that was great to see. Saw 10 targets, caught seven of them that 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 box score could have fit perfectly into the, his game log with Drew Brees at quarterback. So that was really, really great to see. And it makes you think that the that the lighter workloads had more to do with the foot injury than they did perhaps Taysom Hill. It was just it was really good to see those targets return to him. Um, gives gives me a lot of hope uh, for him against a defense that we talk about it every week that will give you yards on the ground. So they are Kansas City is perfectly happy to have you run against them because um, nobody's going to beat him by running the football. Um, so Kamara, a very good play here and obviously makes Taysom Hill a really good play here, too. It's not going to surprise me if Taysom Hill runs for 60 or 70 yards and a touchdown in this one. You are bringing me with all of that um, analysis to a point that I thought was saliently made by Therese on the NFL pod this week that New Orleans time of possession has gone up under Taysom Mm. with Taysom Hill under center, which we have to believe is because of um, the run focused effort that both he and Kamara now are are providing. So theoretically, if you'd like to beat Kansas City, then you'd want to top that battle. And I, I think that's the point that you're also making. 
yeah, you. I mean, there's no path to beating Kansas City that doesn't involve keeping Patrick Mahomes off the field as, as much as you can, right? Because it, like New Orleans has been very good defensively. They, they, you could say they had a slip up against Philly, of course, because you know they, perhaps they didn't know exactly what they were going to get from Jalen Hurts. Um, but in the five games prior to that, they had just shut people down. They had been they had been phenomenal. They had, that that was the version of the defense that you might have expected coming into the season. We're finally seeing it. So, I, I mean, Kansas City is a, a different deal altogether. They're an utterly unstoppable offense, but they will but they will play a close game. They will invite you into a game. So I would expect this one to be to be hopefully close throughout because I'm really looking forward to it. Like a black widow spider invite you into the web. <laughs> Think you have a chance. And then just devour you. So even though the I fact like, that you like I that. I love thinking of Andy Reid, the sort of, as a spider. That's an interesting visual. I like it. I like it a lot. Can we talk for one second about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Because I get a ton of questions about him, and I'm sure you do too. And he's continuously frustrating. But I, I just don't see, I don't know what kind of options other people have where they aren't considering him an RB2. Maybe a mid to low end RB2. But he, when you factor in the quarterback and the offense that he is attached to, I don't think you can push him past RB21. Yeah. Um, I, In fact, r- right before we jumped on, I, I had taken a couple of questions on Twitter about him. I, I mean, I'm starting him comfortably over Zeke this week. Um, I, I forget who that there were. There were two questions. I think they both might have involved Zeke Elliott. Like I would easily start him over him like Edwards Alaire. And maybe this is just because people were, were burnt by him in the game where he didn't play because he had the illness all week. Maybe maybe there's like lingering bitterness there but the the guy just saw 21 touches um he just gave you over 90 yards 21 touches five catches he's going to be involved as a receiver um so there's no there's no worry about game flow there and i mean it was like that workload was was uh absent um when Le'Veon bell first arrived right like there were legitimate worries i thought about edwards alaire's role because he was just playing over 50 percent of the snaps and they were getting Le'Veon bell on the field as much as possible and then you know I, like last last week, actually, even though he didn't give you a touchdown, maybe, maybe it wasn't particularly helpful fantasy wise. That workload alone makes me feel really good about him in this game. I'm going to be a lot of points in this game and he's still tied to Kansas City's offense. So I, I want somebody who has the potential to get 20 touches in Kansas City's offense. And even though Le'Veon Bell is confused, that doesn't mean you have to be because Andy and I can clear <laughs> it up for you. Philadelphia at Arizona. This is going to be an exciting game. I wish this was the game that we were finishing on. It's not. Obviously, we have two incredibly gifted mobile quarterbacks with incredible rushing ability. They both went to the same damn college. That's also a storyline. Biggest injury note on Philly is that Rodney McLeod is done for the year with an ACL. Darius Slay is in concussion protocol. And Avante Maddox is dealing with a knee injury. So when I projected this game, I was on Fearless Forecast for quarterbacks. I think this is an opportunity for Kyler and Nuke to, I mean, last week was pretty good for Nuke, but like, I think this is an opportunity for Kyler to do both things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was good to see Kyler, like Kyler had had, you know, playing with the shoulder injury. He'd had like three straight games with only five carries, and he'd no nobody was ever going to maintain the kind of pace that he was on as a as a rusher, right? It was a touchdown a week. It was just really good last week to see him getting back to. I think it was I think it was thirteen rush attempts. Like, don't even worry about the results. Like, it was just great to see him running again. 
It's hugely valuable for fantasy. This obviously a friendly spot against a banged up defense. New Hopkins isn't somebody that you're you're really sw- oh gosh do I start Nuke or not? But I, I think it makes him super appealing in DFS. Yeah, I, th- I think in any given week, Nuke can give you ten catches, one hundred and fifty yards, and that is definitely on the table here. I think it also helps you figure out your roster balance, right? Because some of these players, when we talk about, we talked about endlessly Kyler Murray. We're going to sit him maybe for Josh Allen in a particular week, but not for, you know, I think Jared Goff was the stream of the week, whatever. But I think when you're thinking, you're not going to sit nuke, right? And this isn't a start your studs conversation, but it is helpful in roster construction because if you are anticipating a potentially flat effort from Hopkins versus an opportunity where we know he has the right. uh, ability to boom and we've seen that, then you're going to probably flex your players differently. Oh yeah. No, it's a really good point. You don't, you don't have to think so much about um, those high variance guys. You don't, you don't have to think, wow, well, once a season, I might get two touchdowns out of, you know, name the player Willie Sneed in my case, right? Like you don't have to think about that. You can just take the bankable points because you're definitely getting a big week from nuke. And I wonder too, if that I'm I'm interested to see, and I think the league, frankly, certainly Philadelphia is, what that means for Jalen Hurts, because we anticipate that he's going to have to throw some in this one. He is not necessarily just going to be able to run for over 100 yards and call it a damn day. I think he's yeah. going to be doing some point chasing. And so while, yes, he had the fumble last week in his debut, he didn't take a sack. He didn't throw an interception. It was a relatively mistake-free effort, which is so drastic from what we were seeing with Carson Wentz. Yeah, he is still like his last two games. He's he's twenty two of forty two as a passer, which is which is not great. And the you know the, his the receivers touchdown... aren't helping him. Yeah, no, fair. it's a, it's another problem. Like it's and that was always the discussion with Carson too. Is it's just really hard to separate the player from the from the team context, obviously. And if the pass rush is getting on you right away, you know Carson doesn't have Hertz's rushing ability. Um, the the receiving core is not great. Like. Jalen Rager's a really fun athlete, but he's not ready to be a wide receiver one for a good team, perhaps. Um, Zach Ertz is clearly not Zach Ertz. Goddard's fine. This is actually a pretty difficult matchup for opposing tight ends, so he, he's probably not a great play here. But yeah, like we're going to learn something about Jalen Hurts here because he is going to have to pass. I don't think this is going to be a game where he's going to be able to finish it with 18 or 20 pass attempts and they have a hope of winning. I said I wanted to end on this note, but we couldn't because there are still games to talk about. But we're going to fly through the next games because they're not as interesting. And we trust you enough to know what you're doing with them. Let's first discuss Jets at the Rams. I mean, do we have to? Really? LaMichael Piran has been activated off of IR. That's great to know. Uh, Cam Akers (laughs) is going to run all over the place. Awesome. Do you got anything else for me here? Yeah, two of their last three games, the Jets have scored three points. Like you, the, obviously, you don't want to be tied to any element of that offense. It's clearly a Cam Akers game. Um, he's coming off a game in which he saw like wasn't thirty-one touches. Um, like Cam Akers, Cam Akers is a candidate to have that Derrick Henry line that I threw out earlier. Like this might be a two hundred-yard game for Akers. I will say one quick note. If you are, because the Jets give up the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends, trying to decide between Tyler Higby. And Gerald Everett, I did a little bit of digging, and Higby is who I would give the advantage to. Is recorded a higher route percentage, 53.6, and he's drawn exactly one more red zone target than <laughs> Gerald Everett. So uh, if you're looking to throw darts at that position in a theoretically gettable matchup, I would lean towards Higby. Sunday night game, Browns at Giants. Austin Hooper returned to practice on, West, on Wednesday 
And Daniel Jones, uh, his status is in doubt. He's still dealing with that ankle hamstring issue. Yeah, we're probably getting Colt McCoy. Um, J- Jason Garrett is like uh, absent oh, for this yeah, game. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So we have like Jason the combination on the damn list. Colt McCoy and Freddie Kit, like Freddie Kitchens, um, apparently steps in against uh, against that's Cleveland. A so game. that's kind of fun. Yeah, it's like a double dip of revenge with uh, with McCoy as well. <laughs> I like I don't know. It's a it's a bad it's a bad week for for the Giants because no Bradbury I believe also on the uh, COVID list. So like tough blow for for New York's defense, Cleveland. I mean, for, they put up 42 points against the Ravens, so I feel confident that they can put up a number against the Giants. And, the you know, it's too bad for the Giants that they have, you know, especially to to be without Bradbury because they were so good against Seattle just a couple weeks ago, and they're, they're, they're playing very well. They clearly need to get Daniel Jones healthy, though, and uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to be he's going to be good to go here. I, just, I have a difficult time imagining that the Giants can hold this Browns team. It feels weird to say still with the Browns, but I, <laughs> I, I'm doubtful they can hold this Browns team under 28 points. OK, so I love that you mentioned the Bradbury injury. Rashad Higgins coming off of a you know, 68 yard performance, but also we found the end zone 10 targets. Do we like this is always the conundrum. This is why I like to think about game flow and kind of like project out what I imagine could happen because you look on paper and you're like, well, okay, like I think that probably sets up well for Higgins. But like we also know what kind of offense Kevin Stefanski wants to run. And I'm not anticipating another 10 target effort out of Higgins. Yeah, I, I think if I had to forecast both him and Jarvis Landry, I would probably come in around 55, 56 yards for both of them. Certainly this is not a game where Cleveland is going to be forced to throw like that's just not going to happen. They're not going to they're not going to fall behind by multiple scores. I mean, it would take something ridiculous happening on special teams or defense for the Giants for that to happen. So that's just that's just kind of out of play for me. Sh- certainly sets up as a game that you would expect to be um, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb um, again and again and again. Another 20 plus carry game for Nick Chubb. Another, I don't know, 15 touches for Kareem Hunt uh, and, and probably low volume for Cleveland's receivers. Although I, Mayfield's been really good lately. I don't have anything bad to say about Baker Mayfield. What a, like, what a crazy season. Like, remember there was that moment in that Cincinnati game where we were like, oh man, are they going to have to pull Baker Mayfield? Cause he started like over three or over four. And then he completed every other pass he threw that day and ended up with five touchdowns. And now he's coming off back to back 300 yard games. Like we felt this close to a benching of Baker Mayfield. And now he's like, he, he's been, you know, relatively speaking, he's been lights out. I mean, the simplification, like if we do the math, one thing is one thing that seemed to muddy all of the waters is now missing, which allows him to maybe relax a little bit more and find the receiver that he has the most rapport with. And he has had the most rapport with. But Landry's been great. Higgins has been great. Their touchdown celebrations have been great. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Monday night game. We've got Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. Um, Yeah. If you thought that Brandon Allen was... A tough watch at quarterback. Uh, Ryan Finley is going to take. He's been taking first team reps at practice because Allen's got a knee issue. So this is. I, I don't really have any word, <laughs> words. But I don't think you're starting. I thought maybe last week there'd be some room for Tyler Boyd. Like, and I, and we 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 talk about the deficiencies and the injuries that Pittsburgh is dealing with. They've also had a little bit more time now to just rest frankly right like their schedule was a little bit hairy there over the past past couple two past couple weeks and the turnarounds were quick I, I don't want to start a Bengal in week 15 
and try to galaxy brain this situation. Nope, can't do it. I don't think that Ryan Finley is good enough to support even like a single surefire starter at receiver. So I, w- I wouldn't do that. The backfield has gotten incredibly muddied. Um, it, like three three different guys are involved. You can't you can't start any Bengals. Um, not in a not in a must win fantasy semifinal. Uh, the Steelers defense might be the might be the start of the week. Good call uh, on the Steelers offense. You've got James Conner dealing with an injured quad, obviously didn't perform particularly well or well at all coming off of completely inefficient coming off of his stint on the COVID IR list. This is a big spot, I think, for Big Ben and the offense to bounce back, to shake the past two losses and maybe regain some mojo heading down into the postseason. I think that, I mean, not this isn't brilliant analysis, obviously, because the Steelers haven't been able to run the ball the whole damn season. But I think this is an opportunity for the passing game to not feel as heavy as it's felt over the past two weeks. Does that make yeah, this is like a like a sparring partner of an opponent, right? The condition that Cincinnati's in right now. So it's a spot where you would think that Pittsburgh can just fix a bunch of stuff. Like they can make themselves feel good about the run game. And maybe that's Benny Snell in place of James Conner if Conner is too injured to go. They can try to make Deontay Johnson feel good about his hands again. Like they can just, you know, they can they can address some things that are obvious, obvious red flags right now. Um, but it shouldn't be a particularly competitive game. Looking ahead to Sunday, let's make some nutty predictions thanks to planters. Andy, what is your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's game? Oh, give me Mitch Trubisky. I can't can't even say it without laughing. Give me Mitch Trubisky as a top 10 fantasy quarterback. I think this can happen. I think this can definitely happen. He's in this wonderful stretch of games uh, that the Bears have to close their season. It's Minnesota this week. They rank 26th on the season against the pass. They give up seven and a half yards per attempt. They're banged up. We might not have Eric Kendricks in this one. Like this is a spot where Mitch can at least match his stats from last week. I think he can give us 260 and three touchdowns few rushing yards as well. This is a definite start your bears week. Andy, you really were nutty. What a nutty prediction. I I like it though. In fact, I like it so much that I'm going to try to get nutty with the exact same matchup. The player I'm focusing on is dream stream Irv Smith. After missing time with a groin injury, he returned to the Vikings lineup in week 14 and with Kyle Rudolph sideline, he's dealing with foot injury, by the way, still dealing with that foot injury. Smith caught all four of his looks. He led the team in receiving yards with 63, and he was on the receiving end of Kirk Cousins' lone touchdown. Like I said, Rudolph's still dealing with that foot injury. I don't think he takes the field on Sunday. If that is the case, then I think Smith is going to be nuttily featured once again. The Bears' defense has allowed the third most points to opposing tight ends. And in fact, back in Week 10... When they faced the Vikings, they they gifted Kyle Rudolph with a top 12 fantasy finish. Woo! Those were some pretty nutty predictions right there. What can you say? We're a bit nuts. Thanks again to Planters, and we remind you at home or wherever you are to stay satisfied with Planters. All right, Andy, the penultimate episode of the 15th season of FFL is this Sunday— 90 minutes before kickoff, wherever you are, we're live that entire time. Are you bringing back the wig or did you sort everyone? Uh, I, I need a I need a good case if I'm going to bring back the wig. I don't I don't normally like to bring back the wig during the fantasy playoffs. I feel like the questions are too urgent. We want to take as many as possible. But if I get a particularly good one, I will. Well, we'll, we'll wait. I wonder what mischief these 
fantasy managers can get into in week 15. <laughs> Good enough mischief for you to pull out the wig. We'll have to keep an eye on it. If you guys want to keep your eye on that, please do. But also keep your ears on something. That's our podcast is here at Yahoo Sports. We have a ton of them. You can check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty. Please follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF, and that is at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters, and the Week 15 recap show will be out Monday morning. In the meantime, enjoy the game.